Look back over time and consider the various landmarks over this timeline of important times and dates in history that have changed the world as we know it today. Join me just in thinking of some that you just come up with immediately. World wars, political incidents, crimes, racial, gender oppression, times when communities and and cultures and peoples from around the world have come together to fight against what they believed so passionately about. Those were landmarks in time and, and have made us who we are today. Now, if we consider this time of pandemic in the world, this is a landmark in time. We are living through a really significant time in history where people of the future, our children, our grandchildren, will look back and say that this was a time so different from all others that has significantly changed the world. Now, you as teachers need to realize right from the start of this brief discussion um, that you play a crucial, crucial role in this time more than any time before. We've always relied on leaders, um, religious leaders, political leaders, um, leaders in the fight against uh, the apartheid regime, the political and um, atrocities of the past. But these have been leaders of paradigms, of leaders of beliefs that we could all look to. The biggest thing that has been different from what we're experiencing today is during those times of huge significance and landmarks, we were never isolated from each other. We drew strength from each other, either in our anger, our passion, our belief systems. We drew strength from each other at a time when we could have lost hope. Now what's different now is during this time of pandemic, we're experiencing such things, but even worse, because we can't see the enemy. We can't garner support from people who believe the same as, same as us, who speak the same language, people who believe in the same issues that we do, um, politics. There is no one thing that draws us together other than the desire to survive, the fear and anxiety of what if we get ill, um, and how this will impact on our future in terms of economy, social life, and our standing in, in the future. This is a time when we are isolated. And that's why I believe that you as a teacher, a future teacher, really will play a key role because we will be the only ones as teachers that will really be able to independently and individually in small groups contact and engage with the children and learners of today. So despite the fact that people are isolated, we will be the ones. The the veins of blood, the lifeblood of encouragement that will go into communities, virtually, of course, and encourage these individuals. So this will be a time where although there is hopelessness and helplessness and people are feeling, there will also be isolation that will just make it so much more, so much bigger, so much weightier than any other landmark that's been experienced in time. So I'd like you just to stop as a teacher, because even if you're a trainer, um, a teacher in training, um, a student, you were born to be a teacher. So you've always been a teacher. Let's just get that straight. You've always been a teacher in your heart and your passion and your talents. Just stop for a moment and consider what your role could be, should be, and is 
during this time. We're focusing on learners, um, whether they're school learners, university learners, but let's focus on children for now, um, because that's really such an important focus as we work towards the future, because this is the new generation, the next two generations of people that will graduate out of this time of pandemic and be the future leaders, the people to build an economy, cultures, races, and future belief systems. They are the ones that are needing us now. So before I end part one, I'd like you to just spend a little bit of time, first as an individual, you personally, as this teacher, I'd like you to consider your strengths and your weaknesses. Now, don't overthink them, don't overanalyze, just get a piece of paper and top and bottom, left or right, draw a circle, draw a square, and in those, write down every single strength you can think of. Be it a silly little thing you think of in terms of a physical attribute, I'm physically strong, or I've got beautiful hair, or I've got you know, beautiful brown eyes, or I have a strong voice, anything physical, um, feel free to write down the things you don't like about yourself. Some people don't like brown eyes, some people don't want their curly hair. And I'll, I'll get to why that is in the next section, so don't think it's too shallow. And then go and look at all the things that you see about your personality, your character, um, that are strengths and weaknesses. And then think of all the things that others have pointed out in your life that are strengths and weaknesses. You don't have to have agreed with them. So maybe put a little cross or an asterisk next to the things that people have identified for you that are strengths and weaknesses that you don't agree with. And then things that others have identified for you that are strengths and weaknesses that you do agree with, that you hadn't written initially, and put a little check next to those. So once you've spent all that time just jotting down all those strengths and weaknesses in you as a person, you know, one wants to, you know, just step back and say your name out loud. Claim it. Say your name and say, I am a teacher. I am an educator. Say your name out loud. And then read back those strengths and weaknesses again, just to make sure that you haven't forgotten anything. And like I said, don't overthink it streams of consciousness just jot down the things don't edit don't think about spelling just jot them down as fast as you can maybe take two to three minutes maximum and then once you've thought this through go and read your strengths and really just soak them in and just enjoy who you are in terms of your strengths and then I'd like you to spend some time thinking about if any of those strengths, particularly the ones that you're particularly strong in, could ever be seen as a weakness. And then go and spend some time just reading and actually enjoying your weaknesses, embracing your flaws. This is indeed who we are, right? As you read through them, think then about if there are any of those weaknesses, flaws, areas that you'd like to develop that actually could be seen as strengths. Just think about that for a moment. Then go make yourself a cup of tea, have a glass of water and just spend some time just enjoying knowing who you are. And um, then we'll get to section two where we really just expand on what you see, what you see as your role as a teacher and how you can get through this time 
and make a change in the lives of children today, as this is truly a landmark in the timeline of the history of the world. Now I'd like to clarify that you were born for a time such as this. There are no mistakes. There are no errors in history. Things happen for a reason and we have been placed in the place that we are, in the time that we are, for a time such as this. This is my strong belief and um, if you don't believe it, just go with me on this. Just pretend you do. So I believe that as teachers and students at WITS who are training to be teachers of the deaf, or if you're a teacher at somewhere else, you were born for a time such as this. So the first thing you need to realize is no matter how you feel, no matter the pain, the anxiety, the frustration, the stress, and the huge worry that you're currently, currently experiencing, you were deemed strong enough, bold enough, resilient enough, and internally ready to make a difference at a time such as this. There are no errors in history. You were put on this earth for a time such as this. Now it sounds a little bit esoteric, but the first step one needs to take whilst one considers this is how, how can I be ready if all I'm feeling is anxiety or stress or worry or all of it together, panic, anxiety? So for the next few minutes, you know, press pause or do it at the end, just jot down some of the key things that really worry you at this time. Um, you know, when will I start studying again? How will I get access if I don't have data? Where will I find the money if I can't, you know, do my extra job to get that extra money? Who's going to feed the family? How on earth will I pass the exam if I can't even access the lecture? Just think through the things you are worried about in terms of your studies, in terms of this career path, in terms of financial means and economic stuff that you're thinking about, in terms of your family and health. Just jot down all the worries and concerns that you currently have that are taking your eyes off the reason why you were born to make a difference in the lives of children through educating, teaching, influencing, encouraging the young children's hearts and minds of the future. So for a moment, just consider what are the things that I am worried about, concerned about? Maybe pause for a second and jot those down. If there's not too much you're worried about, but it's just this one big thing of the pandemic and you can't even actually put words to it, just remember that. It's really hard to forget, isn't it? And then consider that despite all that, that list that you made of all your strengths and all your weaknesses, those are the building blocks, the foundations, the skills, the knowledge set, the personality and characteristic traits that you were given in order to cope with this time of pandemic for both yourself and all your anxieties, stresses, worries and concerns but also, and more importantly actually, for this younger generation that are going to need to lean on us, that are going to need to rely on us, believe in us, take encouragement and strength from us, 
as they face the future. So if we take a step back from ourselves as the educator, teacher, the person that's going to change lives, and consider who these children are that we are going to be working with, that we do work with, even at home, in your communities. These are children that are already attracted to you, to your passion, to your desire to help, support. You are already a magnet to children in need, people in need, because indeed that's what you are. You are a teacher. And consider, despite the strengths and weaknesses you have, you have achieved a place in your life where you are studying, where you've already overcome so many challenges, so many weaknesses to get where you are, that you're already in the top few percent of the world. Now consider the kids, the children, this younger generation and how possibly they must be feeling. And they're still children and teenagers. Hormones, physical and personal growth and development, feelings of total insecurity that are both physical and psychological and totally normal parts of their lives as they develop. We know child and human development. And yet at a time like this, the child and teenager needs most socialization because that is the core part of who they become, experiencing from their mistakes, their strengths and weaknesses as they develop friends and enemies. And at a time like this, this isolation is going to be impeding on a very central part of the natural timeline and process of child and human development. The need for and importance of socialization and friends. Now consider that and then consider how much more important your role as teacher and educator is and will be for the next and who knows how long it will be for this time. When one considers this mountain, this huge burden and weight that these children are carrying and you consider your concerns and worries and fears and your strengths and weaknesses it doesn't mean they're less important unimportant but it's almost like you know belt them up put them in your backpacks gird your loins and prepare yourself that despite all of that a reminder, you were born for a time such as this. You were born to make a difference in the lives of these young children that need you as teacher and educator far more than any time in history. No politician, no person who supports a belief system, a religion, no leader will ever be able to play the role that they have been able to play in the past as they garner support. Because we lack the social environment, we lack the social engagement, and this level of isolation leads to a very deep sense of something we haven't yet spoken of, true experiences of loneliness and depression, emotional suffering. And so, I'm sure we all are experiencing some form of feelings of loneliness, rejection, isolation, and even depression. But even more so, the children 
and the weightiness of that burden just adds to everything else that they're experiencing and are not experiencing the gaps in the level of development that they have a right to and biologically and psychologically and in terms of human rights have a right to and this is another big challenge of the pandemic it is withholding key things withholding rights from us from the leaders of our world but because they are doing it to the best of our strengths and, and, and health and interests and so despite good and strong and wonderful decisions being made by leaders and people in the health sector. It is robbing us, but more importantly, robbing our young people of really important issues that they need in their many timelines on their life. Little landmarks, little blips and important um, things that they need to have experienced that will impact on their little timelines as they look back their little timeline might be a little more flat than yours was. Now spend a little bit of time just getting into the shoes and experiences of the teenager and the child of today. As opposed to before when we look back on the timeline of life and various huge landmarks um, in history, why don't you spend a time just exploring and thinking back to your timeline, those really key memories you have, experiences that you had that really stand out in your mind and very seldom are they just the positives but also the negatives. Thinking back to that first day at school or even before that, that first tooth that you lost. Some of those earliest memories and histories of just your parents, your siblings, you know, really important people in your lives. Pictures of um, family events, parties, Christmases and other religious ceremonies that you may experience and have celebrated. Your first boyfriend, your first teacher that you just fell in love with and the first time you experienced passion for subjects, your first real love, your first heartbreak, your best friends, going to high school, that first day in high school, that brand new uniform, the smell of that leather or that brand new school bag you had, new school shoes that used to hurt and give you blisters, passing grade 10 and when it was your first big year in high school where you had to choose subjects, getting to matric, that very important time in your life, it's almost like a rite of passage. Um, not just about studying, but all those metric experiences, the loss of so many important things. Thinking back on your social life, various discos, parties, school dances, metric dance. Thinking back on sport or culture, whether you were an athlete, individually swimming, running, or whether you did team sports, netball, soccer, rugby, hockey. Whether you were a cultural person, you sang, you acted in theatre and plays, you were a chess player, um, musician, all those highlights looking back have formed you today and who you are. And yet, during a time of pandemic, our children and teenagers are being robbed of those beautiful blips and times of ups and downs, almost like your heartbeat on a heart monitor. They are going to be missing those key landmarks in their personal timelines and just think how that will impact on them. Some things they don't even know they will be missing, that they are being robbed of. And some, some things that they are being robbed of they will truly grieve 
and miss. And so in terms of our thinking about loneliness and isolation and even depression, think of the possible grief and trauma people will be experiencing during this time, but particularly children. I think also of the matrix and just missing such an important phase in their lives, this rite of passage, all the complaining that one does about studies, prelims, finals, all the kind of gathering and, and, and social chats about your worst teacher, your favorite teacher, that guy, that girl, that person that you fell in love with, that you detest. Those are such important things to be experiencing as a teenager and a matriculant because indeed this is the last phase of their lives as really children. Once you pass matric, you step out into this adult world, whether you study, whether you work, whether some people even take those gap years, but that's part of the scary thing, that this is the year that they will be missing this rite of passage to just be silly children again before they step into this adult world. So consider for that for a moment and then think of what is your role as teacher at a time like this. As we start part three, um, you may be thinking, how can this be encouraging at all? Because now that I've been exploring and thinking back to where I am in history and who I am as a person and individual, and then of course on these this younger generation that I need to invest in and change and inspire, it can really become quite overwhelming as one thinks. But I want to tell you a bit of a story from history to encourage you um, so that you know that you have been born for a time such as this. So if we go back into world history during the year 539 BC, um, the Persian culture had really grown to such huge strength and had fought many wars and battles. And every time they won, they would take so many prisoners with them and almost annihilate the countries and regions that they had attacked. During this time, there was a young girl named Hadassah. Um, some people know her as Esther. Um, her Jewish name was Hadassah. And she was a young girl who'd been orphaned through these various attacks of the Persians and had become one of the prisoners that were taken to the land of Persia. Um, a really well-educated and beautiful land, very well-developed, um, very educated. Um, but as one of the prisoners in a country of such huge development, the various um, cultures and, and communities that were taken prisoner were really frowned upon, not respected and really not treated really well. Um, she then moved in, fortunately, with her uncle who'd been there um, for a while also through various um, wars from before. And he'd really started establishing himself um, because he'd been well educated and could read and write and had become a scribe for the king of Persia. Now, as an orphan who was in a really low community culture that had not been respected, Hadassah learned to hide her identity and really just try to blend in with the Persians and the Persian culture. History tells us that she was an extremely beautiful young girl and um, by now, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, a really young teenage girl. At this time, the king of Persia was quite a hot-headed man and um, 
was said to have had the most beautiful woman in all the world, Queen Vashti as his queen and um, really just so prideful uh, of his beautiful wife and just received so much praise throughout the whole world um, when people met his wife. Like I said, he was very hot-headed, loved, loved alcohol and would often make rash decisions during big um, banquets and parties where he would show off his huge riches and his most amazing castle and throne. Um, also, history tells us that in Persia, this castle and uh, throne palace of his was extremely extravagant, filled with all forms of precious metals and um, everything was made from just the most beautiful high quality things. During one of his drunken um, rampages in a huge celebration, mostly filled with men, he decided to call his wife in to just show her off and uh, being a prideful, strong, amazing woman, which she was, she refused. She refused to be treated as an object. Amidst his drunken rampage, some of his advisors, who probably were also quite drunk, said that he should not put up with a woman who had belittled him publicly. And they encouraged him, in fact, they told him what he had to do because he was now going to be spurned by all men saying that he could not control his wife. He was then forced to really divorce her and put her out, throw her out of the country in a place far away where he would never be able to meet or speak to her again, which he did in his absolute pride as a strong man in a huge position of power. However, when his anger subsided, he really was sorry for what he did because he did love her. And history says that he went through a time of grief and mourning for his lost wife that he really did love. At this stage, the advisors realized what they had done and that their king was traumatized and that he would probably rise in anger against them if they didn't think of a plan quite quickly. So at this stage, they said to him that it was time that he then took a new wife, someone possibly even more beautiful than her, and they gave him some ideas. So what the, the standard protocol was at this time was that, that the soldiers would then go out and just kidnap all the beautiful young maidens, young virgins in the area. Just kidnap them. Nothing discussed, nothing spoken, almost like child and woman trafficking, but take them to the palace. And so with no time to prepare for anything, no warning, the soldiers would come through and just literally kidnapped every beautiful young woman that they deemed beautiful and took them to the king's harem. Apparently there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these young girls, probably all of them Persian. And then of course young Hadassah, um, as she was beautiful. Um, as a young Jew, she decided very strategically not to share who she was as, a, as her culture and heritage because she knew that she probably would just be chucked out and she now knew she needed to live. So this was almost the second time that this young girl was orphaned. Um, and then they talk about being, um, the history books refer to, you know, being in this harem for I think a couple of years as all the girls were taught the Persian culture and history, taught how to read and write and just learnt the ways in order to prepare them for potential queenship. Then the time came for these young girls to be marched out and paraded in front of the king so that he could choose the most beautiful, which he then did. And as luck should have it, he chose Hadassah as the most beautiful. 
Um, as she prepared for queenship again, a young girl, young teenager who did not have the benefits of being brought up at home by parents who were able to teach her their ways, their culture, their beliefs and inculcate a character of strength, which fortunately living with her uncle he had done. But being thrust into queenship in a public space so quickly must have been terribly scary. And that would be a serious big blip both in her personal timeline, but also in the timeline of history in the world. So just imagine how she must have felt at that time. During her queenship and her reign, um, there again during one of these drunken brawls, the king was convinced by a really evil man, an Agagite who really hated the Jews, um, this particular culture, and we're not sure why, I haven't been able to read and study that up in the history books just quite yet. But he hated them with such a passion that he convinced the king in one of his thoughtless rages that he needed to sign an edict, sign a formal law and declaration for full genocide of this race, both within the country of Persia and without. The king agreed totally because they were brought up in Persia as the better race, the better culture, and they looked down upon them, so he didn't think anything about it. When Esther Hadassah learnt about this, it was a huge shock, and her uncle came to her privately one day to the, the gate of the palace and asked her to do something and said to her that surely she needed to use the position she was in at this time that she was in to save her people. Of course, being a young girl, who knew she was a foreigner, an outsider, an outcast really, fortunately having hidden who she was, did not stand a chance and uh, refused, refused to put her life at risk and refused to help, um, but not out of a selfish way. I can just imagine in the history books, just, just being a young girl in fear and anxiety and just saying, I just can't, I'm not strong enough and just maybe not trusting and believing in herself. And obviously we can understand that. Her uncle came back to her again and just said to her, um, even if you don't feel strong enough, you do need to know that your identity will become known as Jewish people are killed in this genocide. Someone will say something and being the queen will not save you. You will too be killed as part of the genocide because we saw what happened to the king's precious wife Ashti that we know she, he loved dearly. This really sent young Hadassah, Queen Esther, which was her Persian name, sorry, I forgot to say that. Um, her taken Persian name was Esther because her name Hadassah was really very strongly cultural and that would have shown who she was. She went into a huge time of reflection and considering whether she actually could do this and eventually realized that it was a make or break. She had to do it whether she knew she could or not, whether she was ready or not, but this was for the survival of herself and of her whole race. And she prepared herself as best she could for a couple of weeks only. And then one day decided to go before the king and risk her life. Because in those times, if you were not summoned to the king and just came before him unprepared, unsummoned, you would be killed unless he showed mercy on you. So she took a huge risk. And... On a day that she just woke up one day and thought, well, I think I'm ready. I'm brave and while I'm brave, let me just do it. She broke all laws, 
first of all as anyone coming before the king unsummoned and as a woman being a second-class citizen even though she was the queen to come before the king and in her preparation she had done as much meditating praying preparing asking others to pray and meditate and support her and think of her she went in and a miracle really did occur he did show mercy on her and did ask her to hear her out on what exactly she wanted and why she was there because he knew she'd risked her life and he knew that she would only do that for something really important the story continues a, a very long way and various different things happen strategically but it ends by truly this Queen Esther saving the lives of her whole generation of Jews and her true identity actually coming out and her not being embarrassed and shy to share who she was. Now this huge long story in history I share with you because I think all young people who are studying to be teachers are at an age where you really are either an old, a teenager, young adult, where one feels unprepared, not ready with all the skills and strategies you need, not with enough leadership skills, possibly orphans, possibly from a really poor, impoverished background, thrust into this place, this university we are studying in. You may even feel the imposter syndrome, which many, many people experience, even very well established and accomplished academics, particularly women, often feel the imposter syndrome. And yet history has shown us time and time again, and just with this one example I share with you, that you are not at this time, at this point of time during the pandemic, within the field of education by mistake. This is not by chance. And so I want you just to reflect as a young teacher um, in preparation for your getting back to lectures in ways that you could never have imagined to learn and prepare to become this teacher as you make a change and impact the lives of the younger generation that you are ready that you were prepared for a very specific time such as this and this is a landmark time in your life where you need to embrace the fact that you can do this despite your fears despite the huge mountain of anxiety and concerns that you're experiencing it doesn't mean they're going to go away, but it means that you are ready and prepared to manage them and to succeed despite them. Because the, the, the weight and the mountains and the burdens that the younger generation are experiencing are tenfold, even hundredfold. And they are needing you. They are needing who you are, who you were made to be at a time like this to prepare to make a difference in the lives of a generation who really will be lost who will be traumatized and not be able to take their rightful place in society if you, if we as teachers, don't come alongside them and make this true difference. And in the next section, we'll start exploring and thinking of what will this be to make a difference? What will it mean? What will it include and entail? But for now, just embrace the fact that you are enough. You are ready. And you were born for a time such as this.